Today's episode is brought to you by Dreammaker Racing, the New York bred specialist. From top quality New York bred racehorses, Hall of Fame trainers, and unmatched hospitality services, Dreammaker Racing has everything to offer when it comes to owning a racehorse. Have you ever imagined what it's like to see your horse cross the finish line first at racetracks like Saratoga or Belmont? Well, now you can. Dreammaker Racing will put you in the winner's circle. Call today at 518 518- 587-5550 or visit dreammakerracing.com and let us make your dreams come true today. And we're live, pal. Welcome to another episode of the Peach and Stew podcast. Thanks for checking in with us. If if it's your first time, thanks for uh, checking us out and giving us a play here. Uh, today's guest we're going to get to in a moment. Uh, before that, please like, rate, subscribe. Um, let us know what you think about the podcast, wherever you're listening, however you get your podcasts, we're there, iTunes, Spotify, um, all of it. Send, send us a little love. We appreciate it. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at Peach, P-I-E-S-C-H underscore StuCast. That's at Peach underscore StuCast. Putting up a lot of great stuff and um, hope you uh, give us a chance to check it out. Uh, today's episode, a good friend uh, to the show, great guy, David Aragona, morning line maker at Nairo. He's coming on. We're going to talk a little Belmont. We're going to talk a little uh, Churchill from this past weekend. Get into a little bit of San Anita, what's going on in a couple hours right now as I'm releasing this. Um, so great! I wanted to get it out because I know a lot of folks are are looking at Belmont this uh, in this upcoming uh, next few days here uh, for the Patient Stew podcast. Before I start the interview, just wanted to point out that we're coming back. We uh, Peach said, you know, kind of alluded to it in the last episode. I am with a eight day old baby now, so. Nine days, eight, nine, I don't know. It feels, it, it, it's a whole new world. Uh, so trying to adjust to that. Podcast will be coming. We're working on some big things. We might have some big news coming for you down the pike. Um, but me and Peach will get back at it, talking sports. Uh, hopefully you stick around for that. We've got a lot of stuff. He has some crazy ideas um, so we need to get him back down to earth because I listened to his last episode and I, I just I think he's on one of the moons of Saturn right now. So we'll rein him back in. But before we do, we're going to send it off to David Aragona. We will be back uh, later this week with a new episode. Until then, get hot, stay hot, cash some tickets, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Later. And we're joined at this time by uh, a good friend of ours. He's coming back on the program. You can catch him on the DRF Timeform podcast he does with Craig Milkowski. If you're not listening to that, especially this past week, 
Sports. I feel bad for you, but good news. You can subscribe. You can rate. You can listen. Um, he is the morning line maker for New York, for Naira. He is the awesome David Aragona. David, good afternoon. How are you, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, it's uh, Looking back at some racing from yesterday, just glad a lot of tracks are running around the country and really excited to have Naira starting up next week. It's a pretty cool time in horse racing. Thank Christ. But uh, yeah, yeah, so yesterday, w- let's start right there because I think on the podcast you gave out, um, you know, you gave out what a country, uh, you gave out uh, Bell's the one, I think you even uh, touched on uh, Whimsical Muse. And so I imagine that dinner's on you for a little bit. Well, uh, I, let me correct you. I actually, I didn't like What a Country. So it, oh. uh, that, that leg uh, was a little tough for me to hit. See, um, I thought, because I, I, I was listening to it and you brought her up and I was like, oh, he brought her up. I, I think that just adds more fuel to the fire that I got to use it. Yeah, it turned out to be a really difficult sequence. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I had some good ideas. I, I mean, in, in that first leg, I didn't think Bell's the one was the kind of horse I'd make my top pick or anything. I just thought of the long shot. He was the one that was going to get overlooked and have the best chance of those, aside from the two favorites, Break Even and Nia Mischief. Uh, and then in that, uh, in that middle leg, the turf sprint with Whimsical Muse, Whimsical Muse, I don't know how she went off a 25 to one. I expected she was going to be about 10 to one in that race. Um, so just from a, like a win betting standpoint, that was, that was nice, but that's a tough horse to get into a pick five sequence, even though um, using like the ABC method, I used her as an A, but I didn't like what a country in the prior leg. And in that last leg with secret message winning, while I thought she was an interesting long shot in there, it's tough to get all of those horses onto one ticket when you have long shots winning in so many legs. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, you, you bring up a great point that meant julep. I, 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 cause when you're alive to it, you're, you're overthinking it, you're paying close attention to the race. And luckily I was alive to, uh, Julia Foxtrot and Varenka who, you know, stood in every measurable, uh, kind of instance to, to gain from a no speed projection, but I think that race, looking back on it, has a lot of interesting handicapping thought in, especially using time form uh, US, which, uh, you know, I fully, I know this is not an endorsement for time form US, but use it. It, it really can help you uh, approach races like this in the way I think you need to. And that is, I think Mitchell Road, what effect do you think Mitchell Road's uh, going to the front and the pace projector had Mitchell road and Juliet Foxtrot pretty much on a lead. And then everybody else kind of strung out. Uh, there was maybe two ways to go on that. Do you think that Mitchell Rhodes pace presence maybe should, uh, we should have readjusted how we looked at that race? Yeah, one thing that I I like to point out with the pace projector in turf routes specifically is that um, while it's interesting to start the conversation by looking at who has the highest early pace ratings, which is based on the pace figures that the horses have run in their prior starts, and that's basically where you see the chiclets placed in the pace projector. That's based on the early pace rating for each horse. Um, In turf routes, it's not always the most reliable metric because when you think about the way the turf routes are ridden by the riders, they're not asking their horses to 
go as fast as they can in the early going. And you've got a lot of horses coming in, uh, some with off races that featured legitimate paces, but a lot of horses coming in off races that featured much slower paces. And one of the reasons that there was that no speed projection, which we put, um, we slap on the pace projector in situations where none of the horses have running styles that are speed, tracker, or leader, meaning that when we, when our algorithm goes through their prior performances, they're not really front runners in any of their prior races. And none of the 14 horses fit that bill. So there was the no speed projection. Um, but you had a horse like Juliet Foxtrot up close to the pace because she was one of the few horses that was coming out of races that featured very fast paces on the turf, particularly in that first lady and in the matriarch. Even though she wasn't on or near the lead in those races, she was up close enough to those paces that in this race, without a lot of speed, she was predicted to be towards the front end. Now, Mitchell Road is the interesting horse because she had shown front running ability going way back, you know, four, five, six starts back in her career. Uh, but recently, they hadn't ridden her that way. I think it was a choice last time at the fairgrounds, two back at Gulfstream. She had obviously blown the start. So she was a horse that maybe the pace projector wasn't capturing accurately because it only looks at the recent races, the last three, I believe. Uh, so it might not have put her... Um, with that leader or speed rate uh, running style that she really probably deserved. Uh, so maybe we should have been a little bit more um, uh, expecting that the pace would be legitimate. And while it wasn't fast or anything, I think it was a fair pace. And obviously, uh, Juliet Foxtrot and Mitchell Road, they did hook up a little bit on the front end. And if you look at the pace figures, I pulled up the chart right now in um, from yesterday. And uh, the pace, it's not color-coded red or blue or anything indicating that it was extreme in that, in that sense. Uh, but just looking at Mitchell Rhodes' pace figures, they're a little higher for the first quarter, half mile than they are at the end of the race. So uh, it was on the honest side. And I think that's why we saw some closers able to excel in this race. And yeah, and what I was mentioning and kind of alluding to just as I was trying to process uh, losing thousands of dollars in that race um was that okay you have you have the idea and i think you and craig kind of encapsulated this friday on the podcast by saying okay well julia foxtrot should clear mitchell Rhodes got to come all the way over from 14 mitchell Rhodes been sitting a tactical position for some reason uh the past few races uh Julia Foxtrot can get to this lead and and just kind of coast and set those slow fractions and slow fractions up front on the turf are killer. The other way is is how it played out, like you said, where Mitchell Rhodes coming to the front. And in that scenario, uh, I think it's much easier to find Secret Message who, you know, Graham Motion off the layoff, he's firing. And Graham Motion has been extremely hot and uh i think you know we'll get to some of his runners showing up at belmont this week shortly but you you can find that horse pretty quickly um is that something to keep in mind what how important to you when you're handicapping these races is trainer intent or jockey intent or what the horse has to do because certainly mitchell road Wins when it when uh, she's on the front um, doesn't do so hot when she has to come off or make that tactical move. Uh, so she's got one way to go, but we haven't seen it. How do how do you parse through that? Just you personally. 
Well, in the case of Secret Message, uh, the case for her was twofold. I mean, as you said, Graham Motion has good stats off layoffs. And even if you look at this Phillies or this mayor's uh, past performances, she had run well fresh before. So I think there was a reasonable expectation that she'd be ready to go off the layoff. And the other reason to like her, and I'm not viewing this as a red board because I I think I made the same case on the podcast, um, is that even though she had come off some poor performances at the end of 2019, she had legitimate excuses because uh, she just didn't really seem to, well, even going four back in her PPs in that Diana, she just didn't get the most clever ride that day when Trevor McCarthy sort of rode her into the back of a tiring rabbit. Uh, sure. I Thais was in that race. And then yeah. her last two races, if you look at the, the pace figures in Time Form US, they just featured slow paces, especially last time at Woodbine when that was just a merry-go-round race where nobody could close. And even though she finished last that day, you just kind of knew that wasn't a true read on where she was at at that time. So if she got back to her better performances from early in 2019, which I think was a reasonable expectation given that Graham Motion placed her in this spot and that he typically does well in these situations. He just kind of had to think that she was going to come forth with a good effort. And the only concern was the pace situation. But I think it's unwise to get too caught up in that, especially when you've got a field of 14 horses. There are so many variables. And if one runs off a little bit, or if one decides to go, one rider decides to get aggressive, knowing that the pace is likely to be slow, you're not going to get that slow pace that was predicted. So I, I don't think you should get too married to the idea that paces are definitely going to be slower projections are always going to be correct in fields that are as large as they were in this mint julep yeah and i think what you're actually getting at too is you gotta see a race how it unfolds and pick an idea and and judge it off that and you can't to like you said earlier you can't you can't have every horse in the field unless you know you got a few singles in there beforehand you know it just doesn't make sense because they're not you know, $800 pick fours are not always going to pay, you know, thousands. Yeah, and this pick five turned out to be really difficult to hit because, I mean, the way that I construct my tickets just personally is I try to, um, you know, I use the ABC method. So I pick horses that I think are most likely or just the right horses to use, whether they're favorites or not. And those are my A horses. And I really want to bank on at least four of them uh, winning or if three of them win, then I have to get the Bs, a tube of the Bs home as well. And then the B horses are on a lower tier and the C horses are typically some long shots that might be able to spice things up. Like for me, a horse like Bell's the one was a C. I didn't think she was the most likely winner, but I knew she was going to be an overlay. And if she won, I at least wanted to be alive to to some thin ticket of horses the rest of the way. Uh, unluckily for me, I got knocked out in the very next next leg with what a country because I didn't use him on that that A's ticket that I would have had to get alive to. Uh, but uh, I was right in some other legs, so I ended up getting a few of them right. Just just couldn't get the whole ticket together. But when you construct a ticket like that, you're not. I mean, you're setting yourself up to make a decent score you're probably not setting yourself up to make a $130,000 score because that's what the pick five paid because you do have to be right with some of the more logical opinions unless your A's ticket is full of long shots which uh, that, that can be hard to construct and hard to win those bets yeah and I I've, I feel like a lot of people got hurt when I'll handle the cash got absolutely mugged wait, wait that I'll handle the cash uh, my buddy actually helped uh secure the purchase of I'll handle the cash at the at the sales and it was he was just distraught because I'll handle the cash wait wait even money next time out based on that trouble trip uh certainly had had every intent to win that race 
Yeah, she was pretty unlucky. And, and unfortunately for her, it just seems like she's a horse that, that has that bad luck uh, follow her around because she's gotten some bad rides even just coming into this. Uh, the, the trip didn't work out at Gulfstream last time, and it especially didn't work out her that November race at Aqueduct three back. So yeah. she's pretty dirtied up at this point. I imagine they'll bring her back to New York after this. And uh, if she lands in a typical race at this level, I think she's going to be tough to beat. Well, I can't thank you enough, and please tune in because you and Craig really n- helped me find Whimsical Muse um, and uh, think about Bells to One, although I decided to skip that race. Um, Should have played it a little bit. Uh, but, you know, you live and you learn. Um, let's get to Belmont. Uh, so who did you, first question, who did you piss off uh, to make these cards because God bless you making the morning lines for this. Well, I figured it was going to be uh, a challenge because I mean, number one, I feel like I'm a little rusty because I haven't been thinking about races like this in a while, at least not from making a morning line perspective uh, and making the morning line at aqueduct. I mean, you encounter a tough race every now and then, but it's typically uh, you know, n- not the most daunting task. Uh, but these first couple of Belmont cards, I mean, I've just about gotten through all of the Wednesday card. It was uh, it took me longer than usual because I don't think I was quite used to uh, thinking about everything in the way that I had to for this. Um, the Thursday card, though, I mean, I, I just took a good look at it earlier today, and it's just as uh, there are just as many horses entered. There are some races that are extremely interesting, a lot of large fields. Uh, so I think that one's going to be uh, just as big of a challenge. Yeah, we're going to be skipping between Wednesday and Thursday, but I couldn't help but when I saw the tiller come up and just thinking that when when Andy Serling's, uh, you know, going through that, he's probably just laughing, thinking about you trying to make a morning line for that. Uh, that That's a rough one, but we'll get to it. I, I wanted to go to Wednesday um, and just point out a few uh, different spots and get your take on some some races. That, that first uh, – that maiden 64, the third race for two-year-olds, you know, uh, there's a horse we've heard a lot about. Uh, and this is a kind of a morning line question as well. When you have a horse like Fauci, who I think Jonathan Kinchin was actually touting and saying that he heard that this horse had a, a plane ticket to England already booked. Um, how, how do you go about making morning lines for these tout horses? Well, I think you have to assume they're going to take a lot of money. And this is a race that features a pretty short field. There might be a couple of other live firsters in here, uh, particularly the two that are drawn to the inside of them. But I don't think any of those, either of those horses carry the hype that that Fauci comes into this race with because uh, Wesley Ward, he's been a little quiet with the two-year-old so far. I know he said that uh, not having the Keeneland meet kind of threw him off this year. And he sent some horses down to Gulfstream that he wasn't really intending to run there. And uh, he's made it pretty clear that he feels he hasn't started his best horses yet. And that's a good thing because they haven't performed the way that they usually would for him. A lot of money eaters down at Gulfstream this year. Yeah, a lot of short prices losing it. Even a few at Churchill so far, uh, they yep. just haven't really performed up to expectations. Uh, but this one is the one horse that he's mentioned consistently in a couple of interviews that I saw uh, as one of his best. I don't know if it's just he brings it up because of the name and it's a, a horse that people are going to like because of that. Uh, but it sounds like he's been training great. Uh, the interesting thing about him is that he, it 
does seem like he's a horse that they would be pointing to the turf in Royal Ascot because when you look at this horse's pedigree, it's all turf on the dam side. And just interesting that they're starting him on the dirt. I mean, they probably have to in this country because there are just such limited opportunities to start these highly regarded two-year-olds on turf at this time of year. But uh, the dam side of his pedigree is just a lot of strong grass breeding. The dams they have to uh, that multiple group one winning mile or X celebration that used to battle with Frankel, as well as Lancaster Bomber, who was a good horse for Aiden O'Brien a number of years ago. Uh, so sounds like if this horse does perform to expectations on Wednesday uh, and they're able to make that trip to Ascot, he's going to love the grass. Yeah. And, and you have to think that, um, you know, Wesley, Wesley, uh, I'm sure is not used to this position he's in where he's, you know, kind of behind the eight ball at, you know, this late in the year, obviously, you know, we're, we're in a new world. Um, do you think, do you think that, uh, the, those inside runners like the Todds and uh, the Kelly Brains and folks that, you know, see this tout horse that they're like, okay, well, you know, we can start making a name for ourselves if we beat this horse. Is that kind of, do you find that you you've encountered that kind of mentality? Like, Hey, there's a target on this one's back. We got, we gotta, we gotta beat this one and, and show our, uh, show our horses well meant too. I mean, I imagine at this stage of things uh, with racing just coming back, everybody just wants to win. And if you wind up in a race with a horse like Fauci, you're probably not that happy about it uh, because uh, obviously this horse is expected to do well. And I mean, let's reiterate that these are all first-time starters and you don't know. I mean, they train well in the morning, but they don't always perform that way in the afternoon. Typically with these Wesley Ward two-year-olds, we're used to the hype being right on them. Hasn't been the case so far this year, but maybe we just haven't been seeing the right hype horses yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with Todd's horse, Prisoner, um, I believe he was actually entered one or two times at Gulfstream and scratched. Um, I think he was entered in a race with another horse for the same barn, and they scratched this one and ran the other one. Um, I don't know what that means, but obviously this horse has been ready to run for a while. Uh, so we'll see if he's got the goods. And even the horse on the rail, uh, Garoppolo, I mean, he looked pretty good in his in – his, uh, March uh, workout over the OBS track and Kelly Breen can win with a firster from time to time, but sure. uh, coming to, to Naira facing off against Todd and Wesley Ward, obviously that's not an ideal situation for anybody. You know, N- Naira uh, moving along, they, one consistent kind of note in these races is these allowance races are almost like open stakes kind of races. Um, I mean, there's when you would look at the eighth race, for example, uh, Arthur Kitt is a very well-meant horse uh, coming out of a grade two. Uh, the Najinsky last year, uh, 40 under a stakes horse, uh, last zip stakes. I mean, value proposition stakes. I mean, when you're going through, it, it's real tough. This eighth race, uh, I have a question about Chad. Chad certainly started, he's actually been okay on the dirt. But really, he's hanging some chandeliers when it comes to the turf. Do you think we've seen the best out of Chad yet? Or is is it kind of indicative that maybe this year it's just a soul starter and he's, you know, off his routine? I mean, Chad Brown has been one of the more vocal trainers saying that he really wants Naira to start racing again. Uh, he, I, I know that he's he was really working towards that and, and trying to uh, kind of save his best horses for Naira. Uh, so I know that he's had a rough meet at Churchill so far, especially on the grass. 
Um, I don't know how much stock we're really supposed to put in that because he was winning at a high rate at Gulfstream going back a couple of months. Uh, and what happened over the past, you know, in April and May, it just it's kind of thrown everybody off. So have we seen Chad's best horses running a Churchill? I would say probably not. Um, and a lot of the horses that he's going to be entering uh, in the upcoming weeks at Belmont, it seems like they've been training down at Gulfstream or rather at Palm Meadows this entire time. Uh, so I think we're going to see Chad Brown get back to winning at the same rate that we're used to seeing Chad Brown win. And I don't know if that means that value proposition is going to win this race because this is a tough race for value proposition to return in while he did have some hype around him last year and he, uh, put forth a couple of impressive wins. He's one of a number of horses in this race that are going to have to run faster to beat some of the stakes horses that are in here. Yeah, in in on time form, the early the early uh, projection, you know, should this stay on turf? I see a lot of main track only. We'll have to hit up Marshall Sterling to to get a weather report here. Um, but it, it, certainly, if it stays on turf and you see a fast-paced projection, uh, I believe, cross-border being the one, uh, you know, projected to set a, a pretty decent pace here. When you're making this morning line, the Chad money is always going to be there. Chad always takes money. Um, even yesterday, Nay Lady Nay, it, working out with Olinden, and Olinden um, just went to Tampa and, and, and didn't fire at all. Uh, Nay Lady Nay, even understanding that, still took a ton of money. Do you think value proposition uh, is, is going to end up being the morning line favorite uh, or betting time favorite, considering that, oh, we've got a hot pace plus the Chad money, so you know people are going to land there? Uh, this is a morning line that I've been struggling with of the ones on Wednesday. I've gone back and forth a few times. Um, currently, I'm kind of I have hidden scroll as the slight favorite over value proposition um, as a lukewarm one with cross border right behind them uh, but as you said it's a race where it feels like there are a lot of horses that could potentially take money not all taking the kind of money obviously the value proposition and hidden scroll are going to rake in uh, but there are a lot of ways to go and I don't think this is going to be the kind of race where they just hone in on one horse it feels like it's going to be spread around quite a bit and hidden scroll is a really difficult horse for me to assess from a morning line standpoint because I mean for turf yeah it's first turf he's obviously got that that following where people want to see him get back to that huge debut performance some of us believe that he has gotten back to it since then um but obviously he's disappointed when the chips have been down and they tried stakes company with him um so they're trying turf now uh i've kind of always wanted to see him on the turf just personally you know the way that he runs and his pedigree on the damn side it's really turfy uh so it makes sense that they'd finally go to turf and i would imagine the fact that bill mott's worked him over three times down at pace in park and seems like the last couple are pretty quick that he's doing well for him to run him right back on the turf here um that's actually hidden scroll out in front on the pace projector i mean he has oh, so excuse much excuse me yeah yeah, yeah he, he has so much speed i mean if, if he breaks well he's probably going to be in front of this race and uh obviously he's the most naturally talented horse in here. So if he takes to the turf, he's going to win. So you, you got to think he's going to take a lot of money in here. 
And with value proposition, you've got the Chad Brown factor, which is very real. People bet his horses probably more than they really should. I mean, his ROIs have dropped quite a bit over the past few years. Uh, but uh, he still does win a high proportion of these races. And uh, value proposition is obviously a horse with a ton of ability. But like I was saying, he's got to step up his game to beat this field. So I don't think it's clear cut that just, uh, you know, this race is going to get handed to value proposition because even a horse like cross border on the outside, He's had a lot more chances than the rest, uh, but he's performed really well in a lot of these races. And I wouldn't be too concerned about him cutting back to the mile because just looking at his recent starts, you might say, oh, well, he's one of these Mike Maker horses that just improved, improved at the marathon distances. But I mean, remember going back to last summer, this was a horse that first came into Mike Maker's barn and almost won a race going six furlongs on the turf in pretty fast time. So he's pretty versatile. And uh, if he's stalking the pace of Hidden Scroll, and let's just say that one doesn't handle the turf and backs up at the top of the stretch, cross-border could be tough to run down in this race. I, I have a question about Arthur Kitt, who is a five in this race. So w when you look at a horse like uh, Arthur Kitt, you see a ton of uh, uh, group, uh, group three races, uh, stakes races over at Ascot, Chester, Epsom, so on and so forth. It, what is your process for evaluating form of these shippers or these, you know, first, second, third time out type, um, and, you know, a huge layoff, almost a, a nine month layoff here uh, for this horse in between its Gulfstream Park, uh, you know, running. So still in my mind, you know, still certainly somewhat of a, uh, you know, European feel to this horse. What do you, what do you do with these horses? Because it, when you look at this running line, hasn't run the distance or the route of ground since uh, 2018. Yeah, this horse has had an interesting career trajectory uh, because when he was a two-year-old, they ran him in some seven furlong and mile races just because that's what's available to the two-year-olds in Europe at that time of year. And he performed really well. I mean, he finished behind... Really did. Yeah, Too Darn Hot, who was the best two-year-old of 2018, and uh, even Mohawk in that uh, Royal Lodge stakes. I mean, he wasn't disgraced in either of those. And obviously that BC Juvenile, uh, you know, for a yielding turf course, uh, you know, if this one likes fast and firm, you know, gosh, those, those are some really strong pace numbers. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it is he excelled at those distances. And for whatever reason, when they began his three-year-old campaign, they decided they were going to make him into this mile and a quarter, mile and a half horse. I guess they were trying to point towards the Epsom Derby. And he did run against some good horses uh, at the beginning of the year, 2019, like Cape of Good Hope, who we saw later in the United States for Aiden O'Brien and Sir Dragonet, I believe, was one of the favorites for the yep. Epsom Derby last year. Yep. Uh, he, he just didn't run well going those longer distances. Um, he did uh, almost win a mile and a half race, but it was a much weaker allowance race uh, over the summer in England. And I just want wonder if now that he's in the United States, if he's going to be more successful going the shorter distances that he uh, was able to handle as a two-year-old. So I think it's a good thing that Christophe Clement is entering him in this mile race because he obviously liked going the mile and an eighth last time at Gulfstream. This is a much tougher spot. I mean, as admirable of a horse as Temple is, who beat him at Gulfstream last time, uh, this is a, a deeper race than that was. Uh, so Arthur Kitt's going to have to really run, but he's one of many interesting horses in this field. Moving on to the Bogey, the easiest card on, uh, or the easiest race on the card. Uh, you just have, you know, one horse in here, I'm sure, right? 
well, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good field. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's extremely salty. Yeah. I, I mean, it, this is one of those. I saw this and I was like, I'm gonna get up from the table and go uh, go stare at a wall or something. This is a this is a salty field. Yeah, and obviously you've got you've got the two main players. I mean, they're rushing fall and God Storby and. Uh, I guess that rushing fall is going to be the slight favorite in this race just due to her, uh, you know, her reputation and that sort of air of invincibility that she carried into the fall last year before she disappointed a couple of times behind sister Charlie and Uni, uh, both of her stable mates. Uh, but rushing fall obviously is a really nice horse. And when she's on her game, she's every bit as good as, as, as God Stormy, if not better than her. And uh, it's just going to be interesting because this is another race that, doesn't feature a ton of pace and you've got to imagine these two favorites are going to hook up towards the front end at some point and it should be a good battle as long as they both show up do you feel like uh so i know rushing fall there's been that talk that this is a miler um i've i've heard friends and 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 certain other people in the industry on podcasts talk about rushing fall as a miler do you think there's what do you think her range is I would say that a mile is probably the best distance for her, but she's not going to excel in mile races that were run like that first lady last time because she's this interesting kind of horse that can get a little headstrong in her races and tends to do better when she's up towards the front end. She has come from way back a few times, like she did in the Breeders' Cup and the Jessamine as a two-year-old. Uh, but it seems like lately, especially as she's matured, she's really preferred to be placed towards the front end, if not outright on the lead. And I think having to come from so far off the pace in the First Lady, it just wasn't the kind of trip that she could really adapt to in the same way that her stablemate Uni could. And obviously, Just needs the lead type, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if she's a need-the-lead type, but she needs to be, I think, in the clear It's for a significant portion of the race. I don't think she wants to be covered up the way that she's been in some of those races. Even when she won, won the Breeders' Cup, she was far back early, but Javier Castellano kept her well clear of a lot of the runners, and she was towards the outside, and she lost a lot of ground winning that race, but she, wasn't, she didn't sort of get that covered-up inside trip that Chad Brown likes for a lot of his horses. Um, and in this race, drawing the rail, I'd imagine they're going to try to orchestrate something similar to what she saw in the Just a Game last year, where they just went to the front with her. You don't know what you're going to get from a horse like the number six, Zenobia, who has been known to run off on the lead at times. I don't know if she's quite fast enough to go with horses like Rushing Fall and Got Stormy early, but she's sort of a you, wild card in this race. And, and that's, that's what I wanted to get to, is, is this is projected as a, a, you know, a, a pace that could and tend towards favoring front runners. Um, but you bring up Zenobia, who has, I mean, if she cuts out some fractions like she did in the uh, Athenia uh, last year, uh, that, that could pose some issues because I, I think Got Stormy ideally wants to sit a little tactically, and now you're playing that game well. If you let rushing fall go, like you said, uh, gets gets on the front and just you know we've seen her win plenty of times but what do you do with Zenobia how do you approach this pace scenario and it's very reminiscent of that min julep yesterday with okay we we have pace possibly um how much what we're gonna get uh what are you kind of thinking on this uh for you 
this is one of those where when you look at the pace projector, as I said at the top of the, the show, it, this is a turf route. So I don't want to get too caught up in the positions of these sure. horses. And um, something that I like to do in turf routes is open up the preview screen in time form US. You know, you still see the pace projector up in the yep. right hand corner, but you also see the running styles of all the horses going down the center. And every runner in this race, I mean, except for the, um, the foreign shipper has a running style and they're all mid-pack runners labeled as mid-pack runners, except for Zenobia, who's the speed. And I often think that those play more into how the positions shake out in these turf routes because they're not going to be all out in the early going. They're just going to be trying to file in the position that's comfortable for each horse. And obviously Zenobia is most comfortable on the front end. That's why she's got that speed running style. Uh, so I would think that Zenobia is going to be in front of this race. But that said, I mean, Javier Castellano would be perfectly content to just slot rushing fall right outside of her if that one decides to cross over and get that uh, second place stalking trip the same way that he did in races like the Lake Placid uh, last or back in 2018, because rushing fall is perfectly comfortable with a trip like that. And we'll see if Zenobia can take them a long way. I don't really know how her, she's going to stack up against these two from a quality standpoint, because while that Athenia was visually impressive, she wasn't facing these kinds of horses. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you that, that God Stormy is probably going to take back a little bit in third or fourth and uh, rushing fall could be the stalker here. And I still think those two favorites are going to be the ones to decide. It's just going to be interesting to see uh, which one is superior on this day. Yeah. I can't wait for, uh, for that race. That's going to be so much fun to watch and play. Uh, please check out, uh, that will be on America's day at the races. Check out Andy, um, Talking Horses will be out that day. It's going to be fantastic. Fox Sports does a fantastic job. Uh, will we see you? Do, you? do you have a slotted day where, where you're going to be on Talking Horses? Have they sent that to you yet? Um, I haven't heard anything about that yet. I assume they're still working a lot of that stuff out. I, I really don't know any details on that. Um, I would imagine not for the near future. Um, I, I think I'm just going to be working from home right now, as so many people are. Uh, but we'll see as things start to open up more if anything changes. Okay, perfect. Is is there any spots on Wednesday as we wrap up Wednesday uh, that horses that you think deserve a little bit of a longer look uh, it, when you were going through, uh, put me on the spot here a little bit. I haven't, <laughs> made, haven't made picks yet. There is, there is one horse that I'm quite interested in in the middle of the card. Um, the, the fifth race, it's in New York bred maiden special weight. It's a turf sprint, six furlongs. And, uh, there's a horse that I actually highlighted when I do that horses to watch segment for DRF. Yep. Um, the number six, Ramon. Um, I took a look at her debut a couple months ago when she uh, made her first start at Aqueduct. It was a race that was won by uh, this Linda Rice runner, Honey Money, who just kind of ran off the screen and looks like one that could be bound for New York Red Stakes eventually. Uh, but Ramon um, just got the kind of trip that can be uncomfortable for a firster. She was pretty aggressive in the early stages and Junior Alvarado was trying to get her to settle down and she was just trying to run up into a really tight spot and uh, just just not the kind of trip that you want. It's the, uh, You can't really see it on the pan, but when you watch the head-on of the backstretch run, she's just really in tight for the entire first quarter mile. Then coming around the far turn, she gets shuffled back a little bit, and then she just seemed to have nothing left after fighting the rider for so long on the backstretch when they got into the lane. Uh, but I was really pleased to see the fact that they're getting her on turf here because I tabbed her not just because she had trouble that first time out, but because she's got this big turf pedigree being by Breeders' Cup mile winner Cara Conti. And uh, while her dam wasn't, uh, wasn't much, uh, the second generation of this family is really turfy. Uh, so it seems like this is one that uh, can really improve second time out for Tom Morley on the turf. 
Hey, I appreciate that. Uh, kids child or the kids uh, college fund is going to be all on that. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for that, David. Uh, no, I, that's, that's great insight. Um, Thursday, Thursday, we, uh, uh, they, they still don't make it easy on you. Uh, best. Am I saying it right? Best squat. Basquiat. I think Basquiat. Basquiat. Yeah. Basquiat shows up uh, and certainly had a, a really nice uh, debut. Oh, again, what do we do with these firsters that are kind of touted that, uh, you know, we don't really know what they beat yet. What do we do with these kinds of horses um, going forward and, and digesting? Because, it, it, you know, certainly in a salty field. Yeah, this uh, this allowance race, the eighth race on Thursday, is really interesting. I mean, people are calling the Belmont Stakes the Peter Pan because it was cut back to nine furlongs. I mean, this race could be the Peter Pan because you've got so many sure. horses that look like they're going to be bound for stake company soon. Um, and Basquiat, uh, I think, is a good horse to start with because there was so much hype before his debut. Uh, he actually wasn't the favorite that day. I forget who was favorite. I think a horse that had started before. Um, but he took a lot of money getting bet down to nine to five. And I was a little surprised to see that the, the speed figure didn't come back that high for it uh, because it seemed like a pretty strong race at the time. Uh, and Ashiham, who was second, he did disappoint a little bit at Churchill yesterday. He really didn't have a whole lot Certainly of stretch odds on, Yeah, didn't – watching that race, I couldn't see – and granted, I only saw uh, the replay in the race as it ran – but I, I really couldn't find too much of a, a troubled trip there. Uh, just maybe in a, a little bit too deep. Could be. I mean, you wouldn't have thought it, but I guess the race, uh, he just didn't improve on the stretch out as so many people would have expected him to do at that pedigree. Uh, but uh, that certainly doesn't flatter Basquiat. And I mean, this is a horse that I think it's reasonable to, to assume more ground is going to help him because it looks like he's this big, imposing son of American Pharaoh who just has that physical makeup of a horse that's probably going to like more ground. Um, but he's going to take a lot of money being out of the Chad Brown barn with that impressive first out victory. And there are a lot of ways to go in this race. A lot of horses that have already grown faster than Basquiat and um, many that are already proven at the distance. Yeah, I'm looking tap at the win, Mystic Guide, uh, you know, Country Grammar as well. Uh, we'll sing for wine, a very, very tough crew. Yeah, I'm really looking forward in particular to uh, Mystic Guide. He's a horse uh, who's just got this awesome pedigree by Gosapper out of Music Note, who is one of the most versatile mares of the past couple decades. Uh, she won big races sprinting and going longer uh, back in, I believe, 20, 2009, 2010. And uh, Mr. Guide, he looked really good in his maiden victory at the fairgrounds last time. He's already handled the distance. It was uh, impressive. Were... It was impressive going going wide on that uh, fairgrounds. Uh, and, and I have that day as being somewhat fair. Uh, but, yeah, an impressive run. Yeah, and tap it to win. I mean, the big question with him is the distance because he's looked brilliant in these two six furlong races, both at Saratoga last summer and recently at Gulfstream. And he's just self-combusted in a couple of route races. I think in part because he wasn't able to make the lead due to poor starts. He's got to get out of the gate this time. Uh, but he's clearly got a world of talent when he decides to run. This Tiller, uh, the next race here... Uh... 132 horses. Uh, I don't know how they're going to fit in the gate here. Uh -oh. <laughs> I mean, is this not a uh, graded stakes race if you ever seen one? Uh -oh. 
how, how do you, when you have this big of a field and we're talking, I, I mean, a, just a monster uh, route here. I mean, it, it, I, I think I heard you explain that you don't, or it might've been Travis Stone that, you know, in, in these big fields, you're probably not – you have to set the morning line at a very reasonable price because the favorite might go off 4-1, to 5-1. to one. How do you approach a situation like this? Yeah, well, typically in a big field like this, I try to just begin by separating the horses into different tiers, like uh, who's in the first tiers, who are some horses that are really going to, you know, attract a lot of the public support, like in this race, Sadler's Joy and maybe Channel Maker. Um, I, I haven't done the morning line for this race yet, so I haven't gone all through all of it. Sure. And then I put horses in that middle tier that are going to be in a big field like this, maybe in that 6-1 to one to 12-1 to one range. And then I try to put horses in the last tier, which are the real long shots, the 20, 30, 50-1 to one shots. And I, I kind of separate them like that, and then I'll tinker with things and move them around. Um, but uh, – when you have a big field like this, as you said, the favorite's probably going to be a little bit of a higher price as long as you don't have too many horses in those higher tiers than, you know, the, the 12, 15, 20, 30 to one shots. And this is a race where it seems like you've got a lot of horses that could take some kind of money and will be in that middle tier, you know, eight to, eight to one, 12 to one. Uh, so I don't think that the favorite is going to be too short. And I mean, the two reputation horses in this race, Sadler's Joy and Channel Baker, they haven't been in the best form recently, so I think if you wanted mm -hmm. to take a shot against them, as many people will, this might be the right time to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering because, you, you know, like you said, you haven't made the morning lines, you haven't fully gone through everything yet. Are, in this race in particular, was there any standout little tidbits that, you, that you've had on file that, you know, jumped out at you when you were just perusing it? I mean, the, the first thing I note in this race is that I, I just, I, there's a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of replays to watch I, because, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of foreign horses in this race, particularly uh, the, the, the number two and three, uh, Petit Feel and, um, and Corelli, who's making his first start in this country for Jonathan Thomas. Want to sort of get a handle on those two horses to see if they're going to attract any support in this race. They, they look like they might be more long shots. And then the horses that we were familiar with, you know, in these turf marathons, you often see horses coming in from different directions. You've got horses that are coming out of shorter races, some horses that have competed in these longer races, but some of them at lower levels. So uh, I want to try to put all of it together. And then at the very, la the very last thing to think about, obviously, is the pace, which, again, this is a turf route with a very large field. And there's not a ton of pace in here, but you do have some horses that have shown the ability to go to the front, like Noble Indy and uh, Parrot, that Australian bred horse uh, for, for Chuck Lawrence. So these two could hook up on the front end. So it's possible we could have a legitimate pace in this race. It's not a guarantee, but it's a possibility. Uh, so I kind of want to put all that together. And I haven't even mentioned there are a couple of Chad Brown runners in this race and <laughs> yeah. standard deviation focus groups. So, or I'm sorry, focus groups, uh, Christoph Clement horse now, but at least standard deviation. Uh, so uh, he'll certainly take some money. So I still have to put it all together, but it does feel like a pretty competitive race. Yeah. And, uh, going back to uh, Corelli and Petit Field, um, when you're assessing the foreign form, uh, is it do you, do you have anybody you can reach out to, or or is it just purely watching uh, the races back and the replays, and and what are you looking for in that foreign form? 
well, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but I typically reach right out to the time from U.S. past performances because particularly, particularly with the horses coming over from Great Britain and Ireland, um, they have these really great in-depth write-ups for each race, yep. um, and you can click on them to expand uh, each one. And uh, typically, you'll get some insight about what the expectations were coming into that race, how the horse was likely to handle the conditions. You get a really detailed um, recap of the trip the horse got, much more detailed than what you see in the short comment that uh, appears in uh, the Daily Racing Form PPs. Uh, so I like to look at all of that to sort of get a sense of what was this horse's trajectory over in Europe? Where was he going? What was expected of him? Why is he coming over here? Um, and those typically go a long way towards giving me some sense of an idea of what kind of horse we're dealing with. And I will go back and watch some replays, um, you know, just to make a few of my own trip notes, usually on the horse's most recent races, or if they've done raced uh, in similar conditions or at a similar distance to what they're facing here. Um, but I also pay attention to the track conditions because they'll race over much boggier, softer, heavy courses that we just don't see in this country. So I try to pay attention if horses are really handling that or not handling that over in Europe and try to get a sense of whether they're going to like the conditions they face in American racing. And, and I'll go back to that last question uh, that I had for Wednesday's card. Did you have anything highlighted earlier on, uh, a, a comment or something that caught your eye uh, on the rest of the card? Um, I'm probably going to have to disappoint in this one. I don't have a horse. <laughs> I haven't really gone through and made, uh, you know, the Fair enough. It's early. Picks. Uh, I'm just really looking forward to that eighth race for the three-year-olds, that allowance race, because there are a lot of horses that uh, – I, I thought or have talent and have shown talent previously, and it's going to be interesting to see how they stack up against each other. And if any of them can move on to the bigger stakes later in the year. No, and, and completely understandable because you are a busy man and good, good luck uh, making the lines for that day. Uh, today, today's racing, we see CC back. Uh, Churchill has another excellent card. Uh, they've really been producing some, some great racing. Um, is there anything that, that you saw today uh, that, you, you know, you're, look, you're interested in or looking at uh, specifically? I honestly didn't spend much time looking at Churchill's races today. Uh, maybe I'll take a brief look later to see if there's anything going on. Uh, I know there was a horse that I was looking forward to seeing, not so much from a wagering perspective, but just to see how he'd run at Laurel. Uh, Dreams Untold for John Service, who got a pretty wild ride uh, in his last race, but I see just now that he's scratched, so we're not going to oh. get to see uh, him run. But obviously, as you said, Cece, she's the big attraction today out in California. I've become a big fan of hers. I just think she shows up and tries hard in all of her races, and she's supposed to win this and and really stamp herself as you know one of the top runners in that division we'll see when what where midnight bisu is when she comes back but cc's been awesome lately so i'm just interested to see her continue on that run it's nice to see her not in a post outside the the 11 hole for a change uh it, you know should cc win this race do you think that puts her at at the top of the uh, list per se, or is that still Midnight Bisu? And then we can talk CC, and then we can talk the others for the the older mayor division. I mean, I think so. I, I never like these hypothetical questions about, you know, if you had to vote for the Eclipse Awards on June 1st, how would you vote? Because obviously connections aren't pointing to have their seasons end on June 1st. Um, but I mean, I guess at this point, you'd have to say that CC has a more accomplished resume than Midnight Bisu because Midnight Bisu just hasn't won a big race yet this year and wins do really count. I know she ran a gallant race in that Saudi Cup. 
Um, but uh, she, that was overseas, and she hasn't really done anything yet in this country so far in 2020. Uh, and CeCe's won a couple of grade one races against really solid fields. So yeah, I, I think CeCe's the leader of this division right now, but a lot of things can change, and it's going to just be uh, fascinating to see these horses face off later in the year. So where, where can people catch you? You know, I, I, your Twitter is a, a go-to at horse to watch um, because I, I love when you go out there and, and you take a race and you break it down and you go through the field. Um, where else can people catch you and uh, find uh, your thoughts on the races? Uh, well, moving forward, as of uh, Wednesday, you can again catch my Naira analysis on uh, naira.com uh, slash timeformus. Uh, you can also see that in their handicapping section on their website. I go through every card, give picks for all the races. I pick a few races every day that I really want to highlight. And I'll do those deep dives that I kind of been doing on Twitter. I'll just do them in, you know, longer uh, paragraph form as I, as I had been doing before on the Naira website. So you can check all of that out, my picks for all of the uh, Belmont cards. And uh, I'll continue to do the podcast with Craig for now. Um, those are the, the pace cast on Tuesday. We do a forecast on Friday, handicapping the weekend races, and I'll still do some, uh, writing for DRF.com, uh, you know, every, every now and then, uh, so you can catch all of that. So Tuesdays and Fridays for the podcast, correct? Yep. That's our schedule. That's excellent. Hey, David, I can't thank you enough for coming on today and, uh, you know, best of luck, uh, making these lines. We, we hope to have you again, uh, uh down the road again to kind of, look at Belmont and, and see, Oh, you know, one last question. And I know a lot of people are, are listening to this. We, we have a, a nice group um, in the UK and Ireland that, that listen quite a bit. It, is there something to Belmont to, to keep in mind as track profile things that just stand out to understand uh, because, you know, Belmont plays differently than Churchill, which plays differently than Santa Anita and different than, uh, you know, Gulfstream, which is on the moon. And so how, how do, how do these, uh, you know, betters that are just coming into Naira and just kind of looking at the races kind of look at Belmont specifically? I would say Belmont's an even playing field. Um, it's typically pretty fair. You don't see a ton of trips, especially on the main track at Belmont, because uh, you've got those more gradual turns. Riders aren't, and really don't have to be as afraid to go wide. If you've got the best horse going four wide at Belmont, really isn't quite as bad as it is at other tracks where you can really uh, lose uh, some momentum around those tighter turns. And I mean, just, I know from a ge geometric standpoint, the turn, you know, they're still turning 180 degrees going around a turn at Belmont, uh, but horses, you know, they're able to handle those more gradual turns without losing momentum. And that's the important thing to note compared to like a bull ring like Charlestown. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, you know, obviously I just think Belmont is a track where you see the best horse win a lot because you don't see quite as many trips turf racing with big fields. Always, you have to get a little bit lucky, but even the same case there, you've got, you know, turf courses that are, you know, a mile and I think a mile and an eighth or in the, the wider, maybe even bigger than that in circumference. Um, so, uh, they're just fairer races, I think. Well, that, it, that pretty much sums it up because, uh, you know, and that's something I think that we all need to keep in. I know I'm diving in the Naira full steam, doing my replays, doing my trip notes. And I think that's great information to kind of keep in the back of your mind. So it can help, uh, can help find those biases or those days where something might be a little bit off. 
Um, last question, bias. Uh, we talk a lot on this show about bias and when it's there and when it's not there. Uh, Mike Maloney's come on and talk about it. Andy's come on. To you, when you're looking at the races, bias, uh, how big of a role is it, it to you? And uh, it does that show up in a morning line per se? Um, it it depends. Well, it's a big deal for me. I think track biases are a very real thing. Um, I think sometimes people can jump to conclusions a little bit earlier than they really should with track biases. Um, I think about that, uh, that um, Matt Wynn card that we saw at Churchill Downs a couple sure. weeks ago, where the first couple of races made it seem like it had to be a strong rail bias. And then full, that, full that chat- yeah, and then that Chad Brown horse looped the field in that maiden race, and we were like, oh, maybe the track is fair after all. And by the end of the day, it almost seemed like closers had an advantage. So I think that's just a, a good lesson to keep in mind that um, tracks sometimes, you know, are fairer than they seem because you could have a couple of outlier performances that just happen to happen consecutively. Uh, or sometimes tracks can change throughout the day. And I know they were expecting some weather at Churchill Downs that day, which I think they even got later. So they might have been maintaining the track to anticipate that. And that can change the track profile and create biases or make biases that were present the day before go away. Uh, so I mean, if you're the type of person that wants to keep really detailed notes about that stuff, it can be especially valuable. Um, biases don't factor into morning lines too much for me because I feel like that's still one of the lesser used handicapping tools. I feel like only the true diehards pay attention to that stuff. I mean, obviously with uh, Andy Serling being the, the head honcho at Naira in terms of handicapping, uh, he uh, does those track trends, which I know a lot of people use and can be very helpful. Uh, just, uh, you know, just uh, making notes about where which paths were the right paths on different days on the Naira circuit. Uh, so maybe more people are aware of it uh, at Naira, uh, but still I think it's not something that I would factor in too much. Uh, but I think it's a real thing that it's, it can be a valuable tool in your handicapping. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, my final thought on our conversation and you kind of got it right there is the, the best thing about Naira is you you've got, easy access to replays. You've got the best horse flesh workout person, I think, in the industry, Maggie Wolfendale. You've got you, uh, you know, with the excellent pace previews. Andy, of course, the big A. It's it's the best, I think, one-stop shop out of any track um, or circuit as far as informing the the better informing the player informing the viewer and uh you know can't thank you enough for coming on again and and all the work you guys and 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 the team do so you know i i can't wish you enough luck on this meet and uh i hope racing twitter's kind to you come uh (laughs) thursday afternoon (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. It was great talking. Yeah. Good to talk to you again. So for uh, Stu, I'm Stu, uh, the Patient Stu Podcast. We will see you in a a few days with a new episode. Until then, for David Aragona, we are out.